0: The great work you do this morning and every Sunday morning leading us in worship and singing things in a slightly different way just makes you appreciate uh, the things that you know and sing by rote a lot and just kind of makes us, it challenges the way that we see them. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with that song, just that little different way of singing helps. Our printer is still apparently malfunctioning, so I'm going to need to put my glasses on this morning again. Kidding, of course, it's just me. We come to a time of confession, I invite you to join me in prayer. Um, Here it says, Lord, have mercy. What I'm going to do is just say, Lord, in your mercy, and if you'll respond, hear our prayer. So it's a little bit different response than is written there. Um, So Lord, in your mercy. That's it. Thank you. loving and gracious god we come at this first sunday of lent of the lenten season before us looking closely at ourselves and looking uh, at the parts of ourselves that maybe we don't always pay so much attention to as we are reminded in our songs and readings this morning we are not perfect people as much as we try to be as much as we might pretend to be and as much as we might try to make it look that way on social media We still are not perfect people. We mess up. We have times when we do things that we should not and times when we do not do things that we should. And yet you are there with us in the midst of that mess. And so we pray, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We confess to you, God, that we have done things that we should not have done. We have spoken words that are hurtful, that are angry. We have spoken out of our anger or out of our sadness and said things to people that have hurt feelings. We have done things that have hurt others, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, but the hurt is still there. We pray for your forgiveness to show us how to be right again. Lord, in your mercy. We confess also that we have left things undone, things that we could have done ways that we could have cared for our neighbor ways that we could have shown love words that we could have said that would have lifted up and encouraged rather than tearing down and even there in the midst of those moments you are there with us and so lord in your mercy we confess that not only we as individuals but we as a group as a collective as a congregation as a family and even as an entire culture we do things from time to time that should not be we show prejudice and sometimes hatred Uh, we do not love those who we need to be reaching out to those who you reached out to on the margins who are oppressed who are poor who are in need of help even though we may not have done that individually as part of a society that does that God We are a part of it, and so those failings are a part of us also. And yet, in the midst of all that, you are there. And so, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Finally, God, we know that you are gracious and loving and that you offer us forgiveness. And so we pray this morning as we worship, as we lift our voices in song, as we lift our minds to you, In reading of scripture and listening to what you might say to us, we pray that we would be able to receive your forgiveness and your love, that we would feel forgiven, not just understand it with our minds, but feel it in our hearts, and that we would offer that forgiveness in turn to others. Use this time today to renew us, to make us new before you again, so that we can go from this place whole and true to serve the world around us. Lord, in your mercy. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As I get started, Abigail's going to bring my headset mic up to me, which I left upstairs. So thank you, Abigail. Not to draw too much attention. Everybody look over this way. Just pretend you don't see Abigail at all walking up here. Thank you, Abigail. You know that the season of Lent is upon us. In case you didn't know, then consider this your first warning. Lent is here. Uh, we had an Ash Wednesday service this past Wednesday, when, which went really well. We appreciated the number of folks that came out for that and know that not everybody could. Uh, but there'll be more offerings in the weeks ahead of Lent as we um, have a new spiritual formation series that's going on. And, of course, in our worship services, you'll have the opportunity to, uh, to understand more about Lent and how can it, it can affect us and renew us. Like Advent, the season of Advent, uh, the Lenten season allows us to prepare for Holy Week and for Easter, just like Advent allows us to prepare for Christmas. And it builds up a sense of anticipation about what is to come, so that we don't just come running pell-mell into Easter and we're like, oh, look, it's upon us, but we've had time to reflect and to be ready for that time. Lent also gives us a chance to stop and to look at ourselves and our lives and our world to make spiritual and personal preparation. It's modeled after Jesus' 40 days and nights in the wilderness, and you are familiar with that story. I'm going to reference it uh, several times this morning. You remember that Jesus went into the wilderness, and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights by himself, and at the end, he was tempted by Satan uh, in those, those three temptations that we read about in the scriptures and the gospels, and he came back with a renewed sense of vision and purpose for what God had for him to do. Now, we can talk for just a moment about that number 40, because 40 might be an exact number or it might not be. As best we can tell from looking at the times that 40 is mentioned in the scriptures, it, it, it implies a sense of wholeness or completeness. So when you see that something took place over 40 days or 40 nights or 40 years or whatever, it might not mean literally 40 days, but that there was a complete time and that that time had its fullness. But we don't have to worry about that. Let's just pretend for now that it was definitely 40 days. And that was not the only instance that we find in the scriptures of somebody stepping away from all that was uh, in his life and trying to reconnect with God over a course of 40 days and 40 nights. This morning, we're going to read about the prophet Elijah from the Old Testament who fled to the wilderness just like Jesus did, but for a very different reason. We are going to be looking primarily at 1 Kings chapter 19, the first 15 or 16 verses. You can look there in your Bibles with me if you want, or you can just read along on the screen as they come up. As you'll see from both Elijah's experience and Jesus' experience, we'll see that God might be calling each of us during this 40 days and 40 nights in front of us to reconnect with God, with ourselves, and with our purpose. And hopefully we'll leave here with some encouragement and ways that we can do that. So first of all some backstory about what's going on at the beginning of the passage that we come here. Uh, it's a time of Israel's history when things are not going so great for God's people. They have turned away from God and begun worshipping other gods which is something specifically that God had told them, commanded them not to do. Specifically they were worshipping the god Baal which we hear it or Baal. Um, Baal was a god of storms and rain and fertility Um, And when times were dry and and you wanted somebody to pray to, in those times they didn't say, you know, maybe we could try cloud seeding or maybe we could, you know, do this or that or try to water our land and get irrigation systems. They had only one real thing to do, which was to pray. And they found over time that if they prayed to Baal, the God, that eventually rain would come. And Baal was the God of rain, so maybe we should worship him and give him honor instead, which is exactly what God had asked them not to do. And so not only were the people doing this, but their rulers were encouraging them to do this. And at this time, there was a king named Ahab who was king of, that, of the nation. And his wife Jezebel was from another country, and she brought in a worship of Baal. And they had their own worship practices and all of this stuff. But in the course of this, Jezebel turned out to be a very, a very evil woman uh, who killed all the other prophets of God, Yahweh God, um, so that Baal could be worshipped and they wouldn't have to worry about the contention and the strife there between them There was one prophet left and his name was Elijah Now over the course it says of several years God withheld rain and this was uh, a direct challenge to Baal Because if Baal was the god of rain and when you prayed to Baal eventually it rains Then if you pray to Baal and it doesn't rain And you pray to Baal again and it doesn't rain then obviously Baal is not as powerful as we thought and so over the course of these years there was severe severe drought in the country and eventually it came to a head Elijah went to King Ahab and said let's finally let's let's talk let's figure this out we're going to fight it out and see who is the true God is it going to be Yahweh God who we worship the God of Isaac Abraham and Jacob or are we going to worship Baal who doesn't Seem to have any power to make it rain. So he called them to bring all the prophets of Baal together on Mount Carmel, on a place there in Israel. And he said, We're going to have a showdown. There were 450 prophets of Baal. They brought them there to build an altar, and they had two bulls, and they said, you take one bull, I'll take the other bull. Uh, you build an altar, you worship Baal in the way that you uh, believe that Baal should be worshipped. You can pray, you can dance, you can, uh, they even had a, a, something where they would cut themselves so that they would bleed. And this was all part of the sacrificing to Baal, and he said, let's see which God can make their altar burned so they had an altar there made of stones and wood they put the sacrifice the bull they put it upon it they danced around maybe you remember this story they were dancing for so long nothing was happening elijah was making fun of them he was, he was like well maybe Baal's asleep or maybe he went to the bathroom or something maybe you need to call louder uh... and nothing happened and so uh... elijah calls the people of israel over after a few hours to this other altar and says let's build up this altar together they put wood down they put the bull upon it he said get four jars, large pots of water, and pour them onto this altar to make everything completely soaking wet. So this is obviously the worst kind of circumstances for trying to have a fire. I don't know if you've ever tried to burn wet wood before. It just didn't always go so well. So they poured all this water on so that there was even water on the ground and in a trench that they built around the altar. And the fire of heaven, it says, came down and burned not only the sacrifice and the wood, but also melted the stones and consumed all of the water there on the ground a very powerful and vivid sign that god yahweh god was the true god not Baal. so the people all went back to their ways ready to worship god again elijah called on god and asked god to make it rain and not only did it rain it poured and stormed for days so again just just all of these it's a victory really you would think elijah would feel victorious after all this even though he was the only prophet of god that was left uh, he had defeated Baal, really God had defeated Baal in this show of who had more power and then God caused it to reign. Uh, And I forgot to mention that also um, Elijah led the people to kill all those prophets of Baal so that they were gone. Um, Just one of those darker spots of the Old Testament that we see. And so that is where we find ourselves at the beginning of today's passage. It's a victorious time. It's a time when Elijah should be ready to go in and kick out these rulers who are doing evil things, get rid of them once and for all, and reestablish the worship of God. Let's find out what happens. I'm reading from 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. When Ahab got home, this is the king who got home from watching this spectacle uh, and then watching the rain come down, he told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. I've always been surprised by this story, as well as I know it, at how different it is from the story of Jesus' 40 days. Jesus went into the wilderness on purpose. He went to connect intimately with God and to understand his purpose and his mission, and God honored that, and Jesus got what he needed. Elijah went for a very different reason. He was running scared for his life. Now I want to emphasize again just how strange this is because God had shown up so powerfully in this fire that came down from heaven and made it rain for days on end after there had been a severe drought, but Elijah was still scared of Jezebel's threat. He had a purpose. He had a reason to go. He was asking God to let him finally retire from the job of prophet that he had had for so many years. It seems cowardly, but that was his purpose. He wanted to go. He wanted to be finished with it. He wanted to die. But no matter the purpose of these two very different reasons that they went, God honored that retreat that they both made and gave Elijah what he needed too. God honored their intention, whatever it was. And in the same way, when you and I turn to God for whatever reason, for whatever amount of time, God honors that intention. That act of just turning back to God is what is important as we get started. Now, the next thing that we need to understand about that is that 40 days in the wilderness is the ultimate kind of disconnection. We, um, hold on, did I skip something? No. So we we talk about disconnecting a lot in our society because we're constantly connected by phones and computers, all of these different things that we have around us. They're always, pretty much any hour of the day or night, someone can reach us if they need to. We're always connected. And not only can people reach us, but we are reaching out, looking on email, social media, text messages, all those things were fully connected but this wilderness experience that they experienced, both Jesus and Elijah was this complete disconnect and it allowed them to completely reset and here's a fact about disconnecting we often talk about what it means and how important it is to disconnect from our daily busy lives but we can't just be completely disconnected we disconnect so that we can reconnect I want to say that again because it's important for us to understand about Lent. Lent is not just about emptying ourselves, it's about what we allow to be poured back into ourselves. We don't just completely disconnect ourselves so that we can be out there completely alone. We disconnect so that we can reconnect with God. We end up reconnecting with God. We reconnect with ourselves. We reconnect with what God has called us to do with our purpose and our mission. It's hard for us to do hard for us to disconnect from all those things but it's so very important and each of us has those constant connections that, that of different types maybe for you it's not your phone maybe it's something else but there's those connections that we have to get away from so that we can reconnect with what is important for us because we can only bear so many connections at a time like this morning when I wanted to connect a new drive to my computer I had all the ports were full they were all they were all plugged up with different things I had to unplug one so I could plug something else in our lives are the same way so full so busy there's no room for us to connect to God and so this is what Jesus did this is what Elijah did let's keep on reading what happens with Elijah he spent the night in the cave and the Lord said to him what are you doing here Elijah Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah, what are you doing here? This was not a surprised question. God wasn't like, what are you doing here? Here I am out in the middle of nowhere, and here's Elijah. God knew why Elijah was there, but Elijah didn't know why Elijah was there. This was an invitation for Elijah to recognize and to speak what he was feeling. And he really spoke from his heart. He didn't say the proper things that you're supposed to say when you're worshiping the great Almighty God. He didn't use all the these and thou's and the the heightened language. We don't really know exactly because this is just a report from the scriptures that was that was maybe told to somebody else later but really he pours out his heart To God in honesty, in fear, in hurt, and in anger. I have done all that you asked me to do. You gave me a terrible message to give to these people that they need to turn back or they're going to die and they're going to experience awful consequences. And it's happened. This is a terrible job. Nobody wants this. These people are stubborn. It doesn't matter what I tell them. They always keep turning to Baal and turning away from you. All your other prophets are dead and now they want to kill me too. Elijah is pouring his heart out To God. Even sounds like maybe he's being a little bit whiny, but it doesn't matter because he was speaking what was in his heart, which leads us to an interesting truth about prayer. Prayer is an intimate thing, and God invites us to share our heart. With God. Not because God doesn't already know. We don't tell God what's going on in our lives because we're filling God in as if God wasn't wasn't already aware of what's happening. But in speaking those things out loud, in speaking our feelings to God, and speaking the, the circumstances around us, we begin to recognize it ourselves. And God can change us through that. Don't get me wrong. Don't mishear me. I do believe that God does things as we ask for God's things in prayer, that God does change things in our world and in our lives. But the prayer also changes us. It transforms us because we speak some of those things that maybe we didn't even realize we were speaking. Have you ever had one of those moments when you were in a conversation with somebody about some situation and you said something and it's like, huh? I never really thought about it that way before. You, you spoke something out loud that was in your heart that you didn't recognize before. Maybe that's happened to you, and that is, to me, part of what prayer is about, is in speaking those things to God, our honest things, not all the Sunday school things that we learned how to pray, not the, the these and the thous, but in honestly pouring our hearts out to God, we begin to recognize and God shows us things about ourselves that maybe we didn't know. Moses, Elijah, David, Isaiah Jesus and the Garden of Gethsemane they all speak out of their anger over what's going on in the world over their fear about what might Happen to them all of these things their disappointment in God and that God is not doing what they think God should be doing They speak these things out loud and God Transforms them in that situation to find a new way to act and to speak They accuse God of being unfair. They express their doubts to God. Some of us may have this idea that it's not okay to to, to speak that doubt, to speak that anger, but it's really okay. God is big enough to take our doubts and our fears and help us find something different because God loves our honesty. When we turn to God in honesty, God can transform us. We keep reading. In 1 Kings, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He wrapped his face because they believed that if you looked directly upon God, you would die. In that silence, in that whisper, he recognized that God was truly present, so he covered his face. And a voice said again, What are you doing here, Elijah? same question as before, and the same answer. He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. I've always loved this passage since I first heard it, because God chooses to speak not in the noise, not in the miraculous, wonderful things, but in the silence, But I've always loved silence. I'm an introvert and that's where I find that God speaks to me. Notice after each event that happens, it says that God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake. God was not in the fire. If you look through the scriptures, you'll see that God actually did appear and speak to people in those ways before. God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. Uh, God spoke to the people of Israel in the desert through an earthquake that helped them realize just how awful their situation had become. God just spoke in the passage in the, the chapter before this to the people of Israel through fire on the altar. But here God chooses to speak in silence in a whisper. Have you ever been somewhere that was so noisy and suddenly it stops and you can hear the silence ringing in your ears? Maybe you haven't experienced that. Maybe it's some kind of ear thing that I've got, but I experienced that sometimes in a a noisy place. I remember being in in a place where there was a printing press and they had a soundproof door, and as soon as the door closed, it was surprising, startling even, the sound of that silence. I think it shows us that God speaks to each of us in the voice that we most need to hear. For me, it is silence and stillness, and I think that all of us can use a little bit more of that in our lives. We, again, we live in a busy world connected to our phones. When we're in the car, you probably have a radio going or a playlist or a podcast. When you're at home, maybe the TV is on or the radio's on. At school, there's teachers and the constant noise of classmates. At work, you have meetings and phone calls and all of these things going on all the time. But if we can ever take a moment to slow down and be still, we usually find that we can connect with God, with ourselves, and eventually with other people in a different way, but there are other ways that God speaks to us, not just through the silence. For you, it might be different. It might be in an intimate conversation with somebody. It might be in a group where you feel accepted and loved for who you are. For some of you, it might be in the act of creating something and and, in the act of creativity itself. It might be doing something with your hands or working in the garden, being outside in nature. God speaks your language. God knows the voice that you most need to hear, and God will speak to you through that, and we have to trust that God knows our language. Let's keep reading and finish this part of the story. Then God told Elijah, Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel Mecholach, to replace you as my prophet. And it goes on, and there's a whole lot of other names that are hard to pronounce, but the point is that God is sending Elijah back with a purpose, with a job to do. And he says, go back the way you came, almost as if this was a, a wasted trip, a waste of time, but that's not what's happening at all, at all, because Elijah is going back a very different person than he showed up. When Elijah came, he wanted to die, he wanted to retire, he wanted to be finished with all of this. God doesn't send Elijah back with what he wanted, but God sends him back with what he really needed. Elijah was tired, he was exhausted, and God gave him rest. Elijah was scared. God sends him back with confidence and purpose. Elijah had no clue what he was going to do next. God sends him back with a plan. Elijah felt alone. He expressed that to God. I am all alone, the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. And what does God give him? A helper and a successor in the prophet Elisha. Now, we don't know as much about what Jesus wanted from that time, but certainly God sent him back with what he needed. Jesus came back from his time of temptation with purpose and a mission and thanks to Satan's temptations Jesus knew who he was and who he wasn't because if you look at those temptations closely you'll see that Satan is tempting him to be the kind of Messiah that maybe people want a spectacular Messiah or the Messiah that feeds everybody and gives them what they want Jesus understood who he was more from that time and he came back to recruit helpers in fact in the Gospels the first thing we see Jesus doing when he comes back out of the wilderness is he's walking along the shore and looking for people who will follow him So why are we talking about this today? Just like Elijah and Jesus both stood at the beginning of a 40-day journey, so do you and I and all of us stand at the beginning of a journey that will last 40 days this Lenten season. It could be that we just survive it, and maybe that'll be enough. If we can just make it to the end of this 40 days, that'll be great. But I think there's something deeper that we can experience if we'll come to this time with intention. I want to encourage you to make more of these 40 days in front of us than just making it through. Maybe you are in a place where you'd just be happy to survive, but God has more for us than that. Can you take a few days to get away? Can you take just a day to get away? Maybe a few hours? Or maybe even just... In the midst of a hectic day, can you stop and turn away from all of that for just a couple of minutes, to turn away from that and turn towards God? Because as we mentioned and saw in the story of Elijah and Jesus, when we turn to God with intention, whether it's 40 days or 40 seconds, God will honor that. We come to disconnect so that we can reconnect with God, with ourselves, and with our purpose. We can, just like Elijah and Jesus, speak our hearts and our deep needs and desires to God and talk to God. Don't just say all those things that you learned to say once. Don't stay with the safe stuff. Really dig down deep and say, God, I can't believe that you would let this happen. I can't believe that this is happening in my life and not somebody else's life. I can't believe that this person has this disease that they're not going to get better from all of these things, we can say them to God because God wants us to pour ourselves out to him. Finally, listen to God because God will speak to you in a way that you understand. Maybe it's in stillness and silence. Maybe it's in conversation. Maybe it's through a song or a podcast that you're listening to. Whatever way, God is going to speak. The question is, can we be still enough to listen to it? And finally, we will see, just like Elijah and Jesus, that if we take time to do this, whether it's 40 days or 40 seconds, that God will send us back with what we need. So I want to invite you to just a moment of silence to think about a way that you might be able to use this Lenten season to reconnect And turn back to God. And then I want to invite you to turn to your neighbor, to the folks around you, and have a brief conversation about what God might be sharing with you. Maybe you want to get away for a couple of days, or maybe you're thinking of some ways that, that you can pray and do things differently throughout your busy day. Whatever that is, I encourage you to speak about that with each other as we share the journey together for the next few minutes.